Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. I hope you're good. Now, before we rip into this episode, I just want to make a call out to any brands, companies, organizations that would be interested in working with me in sponsoring or supporting the Gig Life Podcast. If you have something that you'd like to promote or sell that will reach hundreds of unique people per week, thousands per month through this podcast, please hit me up. If you know somebody, point them my way. Send me an email on thegiglifepodcast at gmail.com or get in touch via my socials. Um, alternatively, if you dig it, you can donate or leave a tip for the Gig Life Podcast. Click on the link in the show notes or go to thegiglifepodcast.com. Okay, so this is episode 112. Pete Drummond, here we go. Today is Pete Drummond. Pete is a session drummer, composer, songwriter, and multi instrumentalist from Australia. As said in an article by Drum Scene Magazine, Pete Drummond is a world class musician at the top of his game. His relentless pursuit of technical mastery and his deep rooted musicality has made him one of Australia's top session drummers and soundtrack composers. Pete is also an educator and a drum teacher. He's developed a unique drum lesson that aims to revolutionise the way drumming is taught on digital platforms. Pete has played with the best and has performed alongside some of his heroes, including Virgil Donati and Dave Wickle. In 2006, Todd Hunter asked Pete to join his band, Dragon, and he's been playing drums, keyboards, singing and songwriting with Dragon ever since, including being inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame. Pete also stays busy on his own original projects, Light Beyond Sleep, and his 80s alter ego, Eerie, which you're listening to right now. We had a great time making this episode for you. Lots of laughs, lots of music, and some great stories, so be sure to listen till the end. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the one, the only, Mr. Pete Drummond. All right, I think we're rolling. Pete Drummond, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Stevie, thank you for having me. Far out, <laughs> man. Dude. It's an honour. Man, this is this is cool, man. Um, you've uh, just finished a, um, a bunch of teaching. Yeah. Um, so, are you teaching? Are you teaching from your home? Have you got a studio at home? Is yeah, your studio so, at home? It's at your yep, house. It yep. is. Um, you know, which is just it's an incredible luxury, really, but. I moved um, to Melbourne. Uh, I'd been here sort of coming back and forth from Melbourne and was still based in Sydney for a few years after I met my wife. She lived down here and then we got married and, and so obviously you got to move in, you know. you got yeah. to commit, bro. You can't just be <laughs> – sure. you can't still have your joint you can't in Sydney. can't be half-assed, man. Doing can't your thing. half-assed guy. Yeah. Jeez, that's a bit rich. So yeah. – um, 
but <laughs> but I managed to get the studio finished and built um, before I moved in, and then COVID happened. We had our wedding, and we were really lucky that we actually <laughs> had our wedding. It was we got yeah. the crazy rains and f- it flooded. And yeah. my kids and our parents got stuck at the winery for three days with no power and no running water. And so it was a disaster, but it was amazing and we loved it. Um, everyone was fine in the end. But after that, then we had a honeymoon, then COVID. So, <laughs> so, so extra long, extra long honeymoon. And yeah. And see, the thing yeah. is that you, you really know you love someone when you're stuck in lockdown with them. And, yeah. you know, we, we yeah. actually... It, it's just round two for both of us, so you know okay. we we actually know how to do it, and we yep. picked the right person. <laughs> so oh, it's actually been amazing. Dude. It, it, for as as rubbish as the year was for a lot of things, it's been amazing for me. So yeah, that's a yep. long answer to yes, I'm teaching. So um, because of that, I did all of my teaching remotely through the the long lockdown that we had, and then. Yep. Um, and now I'm sort of trying to migrate to having it like that all the time because it's just so, so good. And I, it's actually more efficient mm. for the lessons, honestly, because I can yeah. record them. I've got the multi-camera shoot and, you know, so instead of doing that thing where, oh, I had a listen with this guy and I've got some notes and he wrote some notes but I'm not really sure or can I record it or whatever, at least it's yeah. like high quality. It's basically like there's your half an hour instructional video. Go and do your practice. So. Wow. It works really That's well. That's cool. So, so, um, so before the COVID thing and before the remote recording, were you doing any remote recording, or, or was it all all in person? Um, the teaching before. I was doing in person. I did a few oh, teaching, Skype sorry, sorry. things here and there, but recording yeah. I'd been doing doing remotely. So I've always had a sorry, studio. I meant, I meant teaching. Setup. Yeah, yeah, I meant, teaching. I meant teaching, yeah. teaching. I was doing mainly in person, and mm. and then um, and then just due to COVID. It, the the lockdown it sort of changed it's been good because i think in a lot of ways it, it's helped people to adopt that as a paradigm because you know yeah. i think i was trying to do things like that before and it was people were a bit tentative now it's just part of the part of the landscape so part everyone's of, part like, of the oh, everything yeah, no worries yeah it's same with this podcast too like right up till um before covid 99% of all the interviews I'd done, I'd gone out to meet the people or they'd come here or I'd meet them yeah. at a hotel or at a gig or, or go to their house or meet in a park or whatever. That's just yeah. how I did it. And I never, never imagined it any other way. But I'd done a, I'd done a few, um, Zoom podcasts for people in New Zealand. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd done that and then obviously COVID happened. And then I think since COVID, there's maybe four or five, podcasts I've done where I've actually, you know, left the house and gone there or, or that. Yeah, that's and, great. So yeah, much better, yeah. dude. You but, just, you've got uh, so much of your life back. Exactly right, you know. And, like, you know, some of them would go out and, and I'd be talking to these people for three three hours. I'd leave home at 7, get home twelve thirty one o'clock. I'm up at 4 to go to work, you know. It was oh, just man. killer. <laughs> yeah, that's just that. Yeah. I mean, that's a massive commitment, dude. Yeah, That's but now, but now, you know, it, it's cool, man. I they had they had dinner with my kids and yeah, came down here and listen listen to your music, and here we are. That's it. You know? That's beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. It, it took it took half an hour to <laughs> get cracking because someone <laughs> left the mute button on, and that's we me too. By who. the way, we won't say who. 
Yeah, I, just, I, I admit it. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> looking at all my flash gear going, it can't be my gear. Look look at That's all right. this. Look at yeah. flash. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so um, in regards to uh, gigs and touring, did you have anything planned with Dragon um, leading up to uh, like that, that kind of got blown out due to COVID? Yeah. I mean, everything, mm. the whole year. And and it was right. funny because we were all together when it was all going down because we were doing a gig um, actually in New Zealand. So yeah. so we did, yeah, the last gig we did before lockdown was in New Zealand. Mm. And I remember us talking at the airport and Bruce was saying, oh, get ready for a six-week lockdown. And I said, that's never going to happen. What are you kidding me? That's just unheard of. That's not going to happen. And Todd was going, yeah, I think it could. And um, so I was, you know, being optimistic about it. And so mm. initially, you know, the six weeks got blown out and then the other things moved. And then I think in the beginning, probably like a lot of people, I was doing the scramble to try and come up with other ways of of doing it. Like, you know, um, oh, how about we, instead of doing that gig in the, auditorium why don't we do it outdoors in the car park you know because there's the, yeah you know as they brought the restrictions in and i remember talking to mm. tony grace at harbour and i chucked a few ideas at him and he said he said look i think that they're just easing this in so people don't lose their minds and have a riot so basically it's all going to stop and then mm. it'll start up again so yeah and he was right he's usually right yeah <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, so I, I saw. I mean, you, you've just come back recently from from New Zealand, yeah. Because um, you know, as everybody knows, New Zealand's opened up. Yeah, it's um, amazing. It's the it's the concert capital of the world currently. You know, man, and <laughs> so it that's was cool. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. The gigs were so good. Like, and uh, you know, obviously the band is a New Zealand band, and they just love it. You know, it's mm. it's the the um the gigs we did there were for the Greenstone Summer Fest, and so we did three massive shows, and they're sort of thirteen thousand people, and the the singing is ridiculous as you can imagine, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. so in tune and loud. It's like a it's like a soccer you know soccer chanting, but really really yeah, right. melodic and exceedingly yeah. in tune, and so. Just re- and really joyous audiences, you know what I mean? Like everyone's just happy mm. and it was awesome, dude. It was just amazing. Mm. And and that's the thing about being being in Dragon, it, it's just an absolute blessing, you know. I count my I count my lucky stars every day that Todd called me out of all the people, you know. He called me first, mm. and I said hell yeah. Um, and so w- we get to do a lot of that stuff, you know, like we, even though we had the, we had to quarantine there, we yeah. were in a bubble together. So we could go in and out of each other's rooms and our tour manager and sound guy, Shane Jerome, who's awesome. Like he's the fifth member of the band. You know, um, He organized for us to have uh, like a V drums kit and yep. in ears and um you know he got me a set of genelex so i could have my little studio rig so my room became sort of the band room and the studio yeah that was great yeah, and we had a, yeah it was yeah. so good man so we mm. we just yeah. rehearsed every day and wrote songs together i did some sort of right. mixing of my tunes and and um 
did some practice and it was, mm. it was sort of like just being here, but <laughs> it was yeah. there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, you did a live stream thing too, yeah. didn't you? Like yeah. A, a live to, stream concert. Yeah. To Facebook. And yeah. that was great. And I yeah. set up the mix. Shane and I sort of did the audio part of that and then he curated it. And it was great. We just did a set and it all worked. And actually at the end of that, we, um, I did a mix and then we pressed CDs. I did the cover art and we, we made oh, yeah. CDs of that within a week and oh, then great. sold them for that's merch awesome. at the gigs. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's great. That's, that's, that's thinking a little bit outside the box here. That, that's clever. Well yeah. Done. It's just that yeah. thing where we just sort of go, you know, I think because it's been 16 years, it really is a family, that band, and, and it's a real proper band. Like we always are doing things together and trying to be creative together you know, it's not just like it could so easily just to become like a bad cover band of itself, but Todd yep. would never have that to him. It was yep. like his thing is he always says, you know, old band, old brand, new band, you know, like yep. that's, that's his motto. And he's, he's such a musical guy and, and, um, you know, so he's all about just being creative, writing new songs, doing things, making new records, whatever, you know, he's, he's into it. And so mm. it's great because we just, you know, we're always up to something, keeping ourselves interested. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I was going to ask a little bit later this, but I, I might as well ask it now since we're talking about Dragon. Um, So that, and then, you know, we'll roll back and oh, yeah, lead up to all that and pass we it, wherever, we'll go wherever. Um, When did that yeah. call come from Todd? Because obviously Mark had passed away years before that, and there was a hiatus and that kind of thing. Um, so tell me where you were, and um, when did that call come? And and um... so what happened was I was playing with Wendy Matthews and Bruce Reed, who's the guitar player in Dragon now with me. He was with Wendy as well. He was Wendy's um, MD, and Wendy's sound guy and tour manager, John Ryder was a friend of Todd's and had worked in Todd's studio assisting him and helping Todd do all of the soundtrack work that he's done. Like he, as well as writing all the, you know, he's an immense writer, but he's also, he did all the music for Heartbreak High for all those years. He's the composer on all that Mm. stuff. Like, you know, he's done tons of soundtrack work. So while he was doing that, John was sort of running the studio and doing whatever needed to be done, cue sheets and helping Todd. So anyway, I remember Bruce and John sitting in the car and I was in the back seat and we were going somewhere to the airport for one of Wendy's shows and, um, and they were talking and John said, Oh, Todd's thinking of putting dragon back together, but he's going to do it with a bunch of different singers. So he might get Wendy to do some songs or some shows, or it might be Wendy and like somebody else or whatever. And I just remember sitting in the back seat, just going, Oh man, I want to play in that band. I just, I, I just said it internally to myself. I was like, that is the band I have to be in. It's like one of the ba- the bands that I grew up wanting to be in. And so I just, I don't know if I just put it out to the universe. Um, and then nothing, there were no more conversations about it. And then about two months later, I was in the car with my, um, my ex-wife and my kids and my kids were, you know, being, they were little and so they're screaming and making noise in the back of the van and and um and my ex answered the phone and she said um 
and she was saying something. She was saying, oh, yeah, Pete's here, whatever. Um, oh, yeah, can I ask who's calling? And then she handed me the phone. And she goes, I said, who is it? She said, um, it's some guy called Todd Hunter. And I just grabbed the phone and I ejected from the car <laughs> and ran down the street like <laughs> I, I bolted. I just did the bolt. The kids yeah. are screaming. I was like, I can't take this call in here. This is ridiculous. This is like the call I've been waiting for. <laughs> and so I ran down the street and I'm like, just caught my breath and I was like, Oh, hey, man, how you going? Like, I was so cool about it. <laughs> but I was absolutely just, like, jumping out of my skin. And he literally, this is what he said. He goes, oh, hey, it's Todd. Um, he said, I'm putting the band back together, and I'm just ringing to see if you want to do it, and we'll tour at a gentlemanly pace for the next 15 or 20 years. Verbatim, that's what he said. He said so. Yeah, right. I said, yeah, sounds great. And that was it. <laughs> that's awesome. It was mental. So that. Yeah, so then those first rehearsals then, like going in, was there a, um, was there a brief, like was did Todd say, I want you to kind of play a certain way or was it like I've got you because you play like you and we're going to let you play like you when there's a chance to play like you? Because what I mean by that is if, you know, you watch, um, watch some concerts of you playing, you know, you get that, you get the drum solo spot and it's, that's fucking phenomenal, you know. It's, Thanks. Thank it's, you. Yeah, it's that it's that thing. So, how was that conversation about how you were to play? It really happened what, what very organically. Like, if you know Todd, yeah. like I was saying before, he just he's an artist. So, it he's just an exceptional dude like that. Like, um, we we got to the first rehearsal. Like, he sent the repertoire, and that and it blew me away because it. I hadn't really listened to the band for a long time because there was that hiatus, so it wasn't around as much as it should have been, right? And so yeah. then I listened to it and I was like, oh, man, there's that song. I'm still in love. Oh, oh, there's that song. Oh, there's that song. <laughs> and there's that song. And I was like, holy <laughs> crap, this is just like nothing but hits. And in amongst all of that, there was Age of Reason, but a weird demo version of it. I didn't know it was a demo. Right. I thought. Was he found some like odd cover of the John Farnham song? And why is that yeah. on this CD? Yeah, this is yeah. back in CD yeah. days. And then it became obvious later he wrote that thing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. So not only do we have all these songs, we can also legitimately play Age of Reason because it's Todd's. And Mark right. Hunter sang on the demo, and it was a Dragon that song. Right? Yeah, Mark sang the demo wow. right, and then Farnham loved Mark's version of it, and he. Right. Sang, like if you listen to the demo and you listen to some of the lines, Farnham just sang the same lines. He loved it that much. Like this is mental, yeah, wow. dude. Um, and uh, and uh, <laughs> Todd's told me that apparently they played it a couple of times in the band and Mark said something along the lines of, what is this fucking shit? I'm not singing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then yeah. that was not a drink. Give it to anymore. someone else. Yeah. So when we, when we got to the first rehearsal, I had the repertoire and we walked, in, we walked into the first rehearsal and basically it was like a band already because Todd just sat us down. Like we all just met each other. I met Mark Williams for the first time and I was like, holy shit, that's Mark Williams. I know him from pop stars and he's amazing. And also he used to live in Marrickville and I did too. And I used to see him at Woolworths and I was like, that's my <laughs> He's pretty famous. Um, so, so I met those guys. So I walk into a room with Todd, Mark, 
and Bruce. And um, Todd goes, okay, there's only one rule in this band, no dead guys. Right. So he's just that, he's that guy anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, fucking hell, man, straight away. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the other thing yeah. is he said, and then he said, so this is what we have to do. We have to make an acoustic record for Liberation Blues series because that's what we're doing. He said, so told us the budget and he said, so how are we going to do it? I was like, what the hell are you asking me for? I'm like just the drummer that I was so used to not being a band guy that I was like, okay, well, you know, tell me what I'm supposed to do and what am I wearing and all that stuff, you know, just playing behind people. And from the the get-go, he was like, this is a band. How, how do you guys want to approach this? And so that's what we did. We just, the cool thing was that Bruce being Canadian, um, he was, he wasn't in Australia when Dragon was happening before Mark died. So his experience of the songs was like, he heard them for the first time on the CDs and right. he is a great acoustic guitar player. So he sort of did versions of, of yeah, the right. keyboard parts on acoustic guitar, but right. he had no preconception right. of the song. So he didn't have a reverence for the songs or, oh, no, it has to be this gotcha. particular way or anything. And Todd's the furthest thing from that possible. Todd would be quite happy to just play the whole thing on a melodica and trash cans and make it as weird as possible. And he'd be like, well, there you go. There's April Sun in Cuba. Okay, what's next? You know, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's an evil genius. Um, So... So really then it was just like, well, okay, I just thought, well, I'll approach it like I would if I was playing on a James Taylor record or, you know, because I love all that stuff and because my old man's a singer-songwriter and I've done so much of the country stuff. That was totally in my mindset anyway. As soon as there's acoustic stuff, Mm. I just thought about, okay, well, how do I, you know, approach it from that point of view. So Mm. there was never a conversation about you should play things this way or play it like the record or whatever. It was just completely open-ended. And I remember mm. with the, with the drum solo thing, that was only, that only ever came up because Todd said, oh, Doan used to do a big drum solo intro into Wilder World. Like he, Doan used to come out when they played it like, um, uh, the Hammersmith Odium and stuff like, so they're touring around right. Europe and they were, they were doing double bills or supports for Tina Turner, you know, so they're playing these massive stadiums and that dude, Don Perry just comes out and starts the set with a drum solo. What a maniac, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Todd's like, Don used to do this. We should do this. I'm like, there's no way I'm starting with a solo. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's when it sort of became part of the OZMVZ thing. Cause I was like, well, it'll make sense if it's sort of bookended by something and it's in a song and it has a form. And I yeah. think that, and yeah. so I said, oh, oh, I can do something there. And then the first time I did it, then they all loved it. And they were like, that was mental. You should just do that. And so then that's sort of how that came about. But, but yeah, so that's sort of a long ass answer, but the, it, it's basically Good. that, um, you know, he just, Todd just said, let's just make a record and it's got to be acoustic versions of these songs, obviously. And let's do that. So that's what happened. And that's that. That's, <laughs> that's cool. And then as time, as time went on for me as being a, a fanboy of the band, I really missed the keyboards. Um, and uh, our, actually our Mansfield came to the first rehearsal 
and played piano and then he couldn't make the second rehearsal and we had done these other things where the keyboard didn't really work anymore, you know, and so Todd was like, okay, we'll, we'll just have it like this for a bit. Mm. And then just because I missed the keyboards thing and I'm such an 80s fanatic, I um, I started playing keyboards on the on the gig. Like I originally just wanted to have backing tracks, but the other guys freaked out. They were like, oh, are we playing the click tracks now? Oh, I hate that. It's like the 80s. Oh, like they were just <laughs> like, I don't want to play the click tracks. And so I was like, oh, fucking hell, all right. Well, I guess I'll play the keyboard lines that I want to hear while I'm playing mm. the drums and singing the harmonies. And so I was like, so I just got like a little keyboard and was playing that. I, was, I did that for years where I was playing pads. Right. I finally weaned them onto the tracks now. The keyboards are on tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, yeah. I play the drums and sing. That's two jobs. I'm, the third yeah. job, it's too many. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Now, you said earlier, Todd said, just sort of, you know, your own sort of take on it. Now, you know, there's some diehard Dragon fans out there that, you know, in, in certain songs, you know, being a drummer myself and, and also yourself, yeah, knowing those drum parts before you even knew you are going to be in Dragon, knowing that, you know, you want to hear it a certain way. Do you pay homage to those parts in those songs by playing it as per original? Yeah. I, I mean, there's moments where I do because it's important yep. to me and yep. and they're the bits I want to hear, whether or not it's the same bits that you want to hear or other people, but to me they're, okay. they're the important things. So like, but it, it depends on, it depends on the, the particular era we're in because, okay. um, you know, that's the the nature of the band is we go through phases where we we went through a phase where I had no toms at all I didn't care I hated the drums and I was playing keyboard and kick drum most of the night and snare occasionally and just singing harmonies right and Todd was right. like yeah that's cool and I, even at one point I was like oh I don't even want to play the drums and he was like well just play launch pad play Ableton you can just play keyboards and I was like we never got to that but he's like whatever just it is what it is um yeah so so for me things like rain is you know that's such it's got such a signature thing about it there are there's some fills that I I really want to play the way Kerry played it and I never will because Kerry's got such a particular pocket it's beautiful you know so I just sort of you know, like quote those things. And there's some other stuff like the drum break in Speak No Evil. I now play the way Don't Play It on the record. For years I used to go, you know what, I'm just going to, this is a drum break, so look out. <laughs> See it the other end. <laughs> whatever yeah. I've been practising and whatever I'm feeling like, that's what's yeah. happening. <laughs> oh, that's cool. um, but, you know, that just, like I said, just depends on the ear the, because it's, because it's you know like a band we it's a living thing you know what i mean and that's what i love about it if it was one of those things where it was like oh we just have to play it like the record every night i think it would be too much of a theater gig for me and mark hunter's not there anyway so what the hell would be the point of that yep you know that's that's how did you ever meet did you ever meet mark no unfortunately no, I am. Um, <laughs> how PG is this podcast? It's not PG at all. It's, oh, cool. It's, well, I had a dream. Ripping. About, <laughs> I mean, I've always, I've, 
I would love to have met Mark. Like, I mean, fuck, the guy's a total legend and also one of my singing heroes. It was like him, right. Farnham, Jack Jones, Brian Adams. Yep. It's like if you put that in a melting pot, that's what I wanted to sing like, all those guys, you know. Right. So, um, But what I was going to say is, uh, you know, I never got to meet him, but I had this dream about him at one point. It wasn't too long ago and I, he, he'd come back, like resurrected, and he, he yep. um, had uh, come to do the gig and he wanted to be back in the band and he fucking hated my drumming, right? He just, he hated it. He was like, this guy's shit. And he was saying to Todd, these guys are fucking terrible, this band. He got like, I, I don't get it. Anyway, and then to add insult to injury, he fucked my girlfriend in my dream, right? So, so hated my drumming, fucked my girlfriend. And so I woke up and I, I messaged Todd and I said, I just had the weirdest dream about Mark. And I said, he came back and he hated the band, like he hated my drumming, and then he fucked my girlfriend. He said, "Well, you're wrong about one thing. He would have loved you. Go- he would have loved your drumming, but he definitely would have fucked your girlfriend. So you were right." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So oh, you know, God. like, oh man, I, I, I would have been ter- absolutely delighted and terrified to have, to of you know, played with him. But um, but I, I always feel in a strange way that the, Paul and Mark's, the spiritual thing is correct, like it's there. Okay. And there's yep. been weird times when I've really felt that presence and it's been a positive thing, like not like a, you know, like it. it's like that it's sanctioned or something. It's everything's kosher. Okay. It's all good. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So, so, yeah, I don't know. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool, man. All right. Let's roll it right back now and how it all began. Let's talk about your um, you know, your musical upbringing and, and you said your father was musical. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that and your your rest of your family. I believe your brother is musical as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, let's well, go there. Well, so uh, so my dad, Pat Drummond, is a singer-songwriter and, and is – Excuse me. He's infamous in Sydney, or he was through the eighties. He he he's like he's sort of pioneered doing solo gigs with drum machines, and you know, like the thing that everybody does wasn't heard of. It was sort of guys playing in wine bars and folk singers, and then you have some people. My and my dad decided he was just going to be a one man rock and roll machine, and had huge PA's and like you know, played guitar and played his drum machine. It's sort of like me playing all the instruments at once. He used to do something similar. And it was an amazing entertainer, you know. So <clears throat> so he'd do these gigs in little pubs where there'd be like 600 people crammed into a corner bar that should have only held 150 people and they'd all have <laughs> audience background vocal parts. And like, wow. you know, he's like a f- weird cult phenomenon. And, it, and so wow. my brother and I... Uh, quite close in age. I've got sisters and they're a bit younger, but um, my brother and I grew up with him doing that. And so there was always music in the house. And, um, and I think like he has, uh, my dad has brothers and they had a band, you know, when he was um, growing up and then him being a musician, it was just sort of there and there was gear around the house. And so I, 
I remember um, my first memories are of getting buckets out and making a drum kit because my uncle played the drums and I liked it. And my brother already played guitar, so that was sort of off limits. I wasn't allowed to play guitar. So <clears throat> so we just used to, like, set up. I've got photos of, of him and I um, in the backyard and we'd set our stuffed toys up and set up, like, a little PA and a bucket drum kit. And we used to go awesome. out in the yard and do fake gigs and play the two Kiss songs we knew. You know, um, so <laughs> that was that was That's sort cool. of how that started, and um, and then I think, like my dad was very very encouraging, and um, we taught us songs and taught us to sing harmonies together, and and so um, we always had a little band. It was basically always my brother and I, and my brother Matt, who makes films now. Is is monster you know he could do anything he sets his mind to but um Mm -hmm. he uh he and i and whatever other kids we could wrangle so i was basically like just friends at school who'd never played an instrument and we're like okay you're playing bass and that's this is the notes on the bass and and so and i used to sort of primarily sing and play drums and my brother sang and um and we just did that all through school and Mm. And so that was sort of, I think for as long as I can remember, it's just been part of what I did was doing some sort of gigging, performing thing, whether that, you know, not in a massive sort of sense, but just being at school, playing at assembly, playing at the blue light discos, you know what I mean? Like all that cool, playing at the local fair in the Blue Mountains. Um, And then we started writing our own songs and, and and so honestly, it was, it was just always that. And every opportunity that there was for us to go and play at one of my dad's gigs, he would make it happen. So we would, you know, I'd be like eleven, and then playing in one of those bars with like you know six, seven hundred people, and just a mm. big drunken mess. But we're up there doing our set, you know, playing Dire Straits covers and whatever. <laughs> yeah, cool. So 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 there was always that, and um. And, yeah, just sort of lucky. And then my mum, I mean, my dad's very encouraging, but my, but my mum was very much the person. My dad's got big ideas, but my mum implements them. <laughs> so she's the okay. one that drove four hours to the drum lessons every yeah. week. Do you know what I mean? And right. when I was like, Mom, right. I don't want to do drum lessons, she's like, yeah, to go on the drum lessons. And also you're playing piano because you're going to learn about harmony because you're not just going to be a drummer because that's just nothing what is that <laughs> yeah right. she's like you so gotta have it... some harmonic understanding this is just... oh that's that's good yeah so how early on was how early on was that was the piano so, piano lessons so i started drum lessons kind of running in tandem um, yeah. well, i started i got my first kit when i was three and a half and then yep. started lessons when i was six and then oh. i started piano when i was 11 and just did okay. Just did AMEB grades, and right, and and really liked it. But that's that set me up to like do the soundtrack work and to do the songwriting, and yeah. and along yeah. the way as well. Like my old man showed me how to play chords on guitar, and if there's an instrument yeah. lying around, I'll find a. You know, I remember finding he had a clarinet, and there was a book on how to get notes out of it. So I spent some time just. Noodling with this clarinet badly, but it's sort of that's the thing. Is I like, I like music, and so if there's instruments around, yeah, I'll try and get a noise out of them. 
that's cool. <laughs> so who were you, you said your uncle was was a drummer? Yeah. Um, were you were you aware of any other sort of external drummers at that stage, or was it just was it just your your uncle, or was he sort of him and your your father introducing you to, to other drummers? Um, yeah, well, my, my uncle, uh, I remember him showing my brother and I kiss and that was just like, oh my God, I thought Peter Chris was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. <clears throat> and I was, you know, I was three and, um, and he's badass anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. kiss rule, man. That's a great band. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so there was that and then. He was, I remember my dad telling me about Stuart Copeland, like, and playing me the police and that blew my little mind. And, um, and it was sort of just songs on the radio and all that stuff that I was listening to. And when I started having drum lessons with Jess Zappia, he put me on to all the stuff that I needed to know about. Like he started me on Ted Reed and he started me on <clears throat> the, the drummer's cookbook and he was showing me all drummers like, you know, he showed me Steve Gadd videos and, and sort of hit me to all that stuff. And then probably like you, like I was reading modern drummer magazine and then all the Australian drum magazines later and stuff, but it was all yeah. out of magazines. And that, it's yeah. funny. It's like, cause remember we, we had to have a money order and you get your subscription and you know, yeah. it takes, you know, eight to 12 weeks to get to you and you get your issue and you're like, woo, yes. And it's like a whole relationship. Yeah, well, for, you have for me, for me, I, I, I lived in a small town in New Zealand, so there was no, there was no subscription. I had to wait till, um, the episode, uh, the, the, um, the issue arrived at, at the local bookshop Man, and they stopped it for a while. That's And right. then there was a few of us that, there was a few of us that went into the, like, Probably five, five or six of us that went in and went. Where's our modern drummer magazine? You know, we're keeping the shop alive with yeah. our monthly twelve dollars. You know, like, and then they ended up getting it back because they didn't realise that that um, we had a bit of a drum community that that was really digging that magazine and getting a lot out of it. You know, that's so cool. Where and, in um, New Zealand is that? Yeah, from I'm I'm from Masterton. Okay, so that's about that's in the Wairapa, which is. If you're in Wellington, it's the next sort of region up yeah, in Wellington okay. if you're heading north. Yeah, cool. Yep. So um, once you go over the hill and, yeah, it's about, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's in the Wairapa, Masterton. Yeah. So, um, it's a beautiful area. I've, we've been, you know, yeah. like I've done a lot of us driving around yeah. and doing that. Yeah. Doing yeah, you, you probably drove through and blinked and Absolutely. came out the other end. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not that small. It was probably that. windy and I felt sick. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of that going yeah. on. Yeah, there is. But there yeah, is. it's a, it's amazing, yeah. man. And and it, like because I was in the Blue Mountains, and even though that's close to Sydney in the eighties, you know, it was like may as well have been on another planet. And so yeah. similar thing, probably not as extreme, but it before I had a subscription, it was like it would it, it was the one magazine that would come into the newsagent that I would have to go and yeah. And get, but it's a, it's it. funny, isn't yeah. it? How much it yeah. means to you. Do you know yeah, what I mean? For sure. Because it's not abundant, yeah. so it's like the richest resource of all the amazing things in the whole world. And you're like, I remember <laughs> just reading it cover to cover every month. I'd read everything, it, like the print details. Well, oh yeah, this goes to X amount of readership or whatever. Like, I remember probably like you, like whoever was in the Yamaha ads, I figured they were good. 
So that's when I first <laughs> it heard was, of this it was, yeah, magical it, Vinnie Colaiuta guy. I was like, oh, he's in the yeah. Empire. He must be good. It was the Pearl guys for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're playing Pearl. Yeah, yeah. If you're playing Pearl, yeah, yeah, you, you, you were it. So, um, and I, I still remember that that first first time I saw Jeff Beccaro oh, in the Pearl ad. Yeah, in the black yeah. duffel, yeah, like, big duffel thing next to the yeah, man. Oh, awesome. Well, that, but yeah, like those magaz- those magazines. Like I, I, um, like I stopped my print subscription probably ten years ago now. Yeah, right. Because I get the di- I get the digital subscription, but, um. All the issues that I got when I was in New Zealand, they're here. I bought them over. Oh, that's so, so cool. They're in a they're in a cupboard. Yeah, yeah. Dude. And every now and then, like the first one I ever got was the, I think it was the second Kenny Aronoff issue. Oh yeah, right. And I get really nostalgic when I open up that cupboard and see that issue. And then the one next to that was like a product. Was like a you know every now and then they used to have the. The product issue when it yeah. was just I was just about to ask you the, about that exact yeah. thing because that was my favorite. Yeah. I remember circling all the things I was gonna buy. I had my whole kit set up <laughs> and you could see all the yeah. oh Yamaha make that Tom. Oh cool they do it. Yeah. Like, you know, and at that stage it was like, Oh, do they have power toms? <laughs> like <laughs> man, I've got to get square sizes because that shit sounds yeah. good. <laughs> Oh, that's cool, man. That's wicked. Fucking hilarious. So, yeah, you were saying those product things, I I loved them. They were like my favorite. Yep. <laughs> but that's what, that's where I learned about all those guys. I remember that, so many things, man. Like I'd never heard of Simon Phillips. And then there was uh, the lessons. I used to love the lessons in the back. And there was a lesson on ghost notes. I was yep. like, what is this mystical thing? And they had um, a transcription of Simon Phillips from – uh, Pete Townsend's "Give Blood," which actually oh, I've yeah, never heard the yeah. song even to this day. Um, I think I have it. No, I think I actually have, but I, you know, like I, I couldn't tell you what it sounds like. You probably okay. find it. But, you keep um, talking. But uh, but yeah, I learned that that pattern just from the notation, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever." I think they might have even had um, like one of the little sound pages. Remember those? Sometimes they'd have those little plastic. Like yeah, yeah. 45 yeah. and you put it on, you're yeah. like, oh, that's the, yeah. the audio of the lessons. You know? Yeah. yeah that's but, cool. man, that, those magazines were like, uh, that was all. It was that and records and and whatever your teacher told you. And because I wasn't in Sydney like you, you know, it was whatever the guy around the corner knew or your, your drum teacher or your mate at school heard something about somebody. Yeah. And that's where I heard about Virgil was at school on a cassette. And that's right. Like, okay. Right. I've, I've got give blood. I'll, I'll play. We'll play a little bit. I'll play oh, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, give blood. Yeah, yeah. Gilmore. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. And Pino Paladino on bass. 
For real. But you may find the blood is not enough. Yeah, mate, killer song. Killer oh, so song. good. Love it, how tidy is it, man? Like yeah. in a world before Pro Tools and all that garbage, yeah. you know, it's just people playing the shit out of their instruments recorded really, really well with the songs. Song. What a concept. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, man. It's madness. All right. Yeah, all right. So, you, you know, you're getting into Virgil now. Simon Phillips. Um, yeah. Well, Virgil, I mean, Virgil, Virgil changed my whole universe, basically. It was him and Dave Weckl. Like, I am, I, um, I mean, you know, it's just another one of these stories if you want to hear it. But basically, it's like I had this mate at school who was a couple of years older than me. This is when I got to high school. So, so sort of in the progression for me, the the big drummers that I love, like when I heard Rosanna the first time, it blew my mind and I had to try and learn that. And I was probably eight or something. And so, you know, like I loved Jeff Beccaro and that was a staple thing. I, I loved the Beatles. And then I heard Dire Straits and I loved Terry Williams. He was basically like my hero for a long time. Then I heard 5150. And I was like, what is this incredible <laughs> yeah. music? And yeah. then Alex Van Halen was like my lord of everything for quite a long time. Then I heard Metallica when Metallica were like, you know, you know, 80s Metallica. They were real yep. new. And it yep. was, as, yep. um, it like was Ride, Ride uh, the Light. Ride, Ride the Light. Kill them. Exactly. Yep. That kill them all. Exact yep. era, you know. They were a fucking masterful band. And, um, and, so I remember hearing that and I was like, okay, this is, this is really cool. But there was something about some of that music that didn't really resonate with me because I love pop music, right? It, I'm just unashamed. I love 80s pop music. It's my thing. And so some of that stuff was sort of a bit too heavy or a bit too sort of something about it. And so anyway, but I digress. A, a guy came to school, you know, he was in year nine, I'm in year seven. And he used to bring stuff for me to listen to. And he was a drummer. His name is Paul Drebel. And um, basically he would play me things and then he'd go, all right, kid, if you think you're any good on the drums, because I was a little bit cocky, let's face it, I was a bit of a dickhead. Um, he'd give me things. <laughs> who'd have thought? Um, he, he, he'd give me things and then I'd go home and I'd learn something out of it and I'd come to school yep. the next day and we'd get on the drums and I'd be like, yeah, I've got this covered. And, he, and he'd be like, oh, fucking, okay, all right. So this <laughs> went on for a while. Then he brought this cassette to school <laughs> and he goes, okay, I've got this thing for you. The drummer plays, plays press rolls with his bass drums and he goes, if you can play any of this by tomorrow, then I'll think you're God. I was like, right, eh? Here we go. 
I took it home. It was a loose change at the, (laughs) and I put it on and from the first like and verge just playing, I was like, okay, well, this is fucking mental. And I remember trying to play slaves that night, just like playing the, the extra little, um, roughs that he plays in the in the bass drum part and I could kind of get that together in a real shit 11 year old sort of a way and then <laughs> right. I listened through to the rest of it I was in love with the music and I listened to it and it had like I know now there's there's tunes in 13 in that record and yeah. I haven't heard it for a long time but but I remember listening to it and going oh this is that odd time stuff I've heard about like my I've read about in the magazines and I'm counting along I'm like one two three four what? oh no hang on one two oh Oh no. Okay. It's not three. (laughs) What number is it? I was like, I don't understand anything. (laughs) And then, so I went to school the next day. I was defeated. I was like, there's no way this guy's the greatest I've ever heard in my life. And he plays a solo on that. And it was, you know, and it was, and he's the thing about Verge is he's always right on the cutting edge. So even if you get to a point where you're like, yeah, well, I got that covered. Yeah. But he invented it and he did it 20 years ago. So he's doing (laughs) this now. You've just, you're going to always forever be behind. Just yeah. place it. Here's the summit. You'll never be there. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll be fine. Just do the best you can. Right. Um, so, and then at around the same time, um, I heard Master Plan, Weckles thing. And I was like, oh, you know. So then I, I was done forever. Forever it was pop music and fusion music and that's. Right. All I ever wanted to, and so I just listened to from that day on. I just listened to as much fusion as I can get my hands on. My mate Nick Delaney, who's playing bass in my fusion thing now, he and I went to high school together, and and um, he his um like his stepdad Tony Elwood was really hip to all that music, like Holdsworth and Chick and everything, and so he used to play us records or he'd play Nick records and Nick would play me records. And I'd just be like, what the, I remember the first time he, Tony took me, (laughs) Tony was like, Hey, come here. Right. Not in a creepy way. He was like, come, come into the music room. And, and so he he goes, I've got to see your face when you hear this. And he put on this record and I didn't even know what the fuck was happening. And it was, um, Secrets, the Holdsworth record, and he put on City Nights, and it just comes on with that, and I was like, oh, uh, uh. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is the best thing I've ever heard. So I was so lucky that there was, you know, on the one hand, I had my dad and the the pop thing and the band, and that was always encouraged, and I was having lessons, and then I was just lucky enough to have people around me that knew about that music and could feed it to me. And then I just, that's all I wanted to do, you know? Mm. So yeah. Anyway, but Verge, basically for me, Virgil's like, uh, it's the law of diminishing returns. Cause I think, I, I mean, it's a whole rave, but the, the thing yeah. I find that a lot of people miss the point about Virgil is that, compositionally he's an incredible artist you know he's an amazing composer and he plays the drums compositionally even when he plays a drum solo like i'm i'm actually thinking of doing some youtube like grabbing you know people do reaction videos and i've seen some of virgil's and it's like dude you're just 
there's just I think it's a little bit of a shame that a lot of the time, you know, he plays those solos. Yeah. The majority of them are at one tempo in four four. People don't really know that. But he modulates yeah. within yeah. the time and he goes from place to place, but he does it compositionally. There's always gotcha. a theme and there's a, and people just go, Oh, it's impressive, or or he's doing all these things at once. And it's like, yeah, but if you really know what's going on. The dude sits down and improvises this thing that is just immense. What an immense musical statement it is with the most insane command over the drums, right? And the closer you get to that, the more you realise how far you are actually away from it. So it's sort of nice if you're ignorant and you don't know much because otherwise you spend your whole entire life just going, fucking hell, I'm never going to get there. And you just... (laughs) You wake up every day and you try harder, you know. Yeah, that's, that's been my that's thing cool. forever. And and I love it and I've, I find that so inspiring. And there's always something to look at in it and just to go, you know, he's, he's just immense, dude. It's immense. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. We're so lucky that we get to witness somebody that, that has single-mindedly dedicated themselves to the pursuing excellence in a field, like without deviation for a moment. It's like if you thought, if you did a thought experiment and you said, okay, we're going to put, you know, we're going to have an embryo baby and, you know, we're going to put it on an island and the island and it's going to do nothing but play music, make music and pioneer these things on an instrument and you think, okay, what, what in a, you know, homogenized, sanitized, you know, clinical environment would happen. Well, we've actually witnessing that. The guy's (laughs) never going to end. Yeah, And now it's so cool because he's documenting so much of it now. So it's it's around and, and, you know, just generation after generations is going to look at it and go, okay, well, you know, and and that's the thing I guess that that I I find a little bit frustrating about it sometimes is people just sort of put it down to – Oh, it's chops, or oh, it's this, or it's oh, it's complicated, or it's where. And I think just because it, it's my favorite sort of music. Like yep. even just listening to his drum solos is one of my favorite types of music to listen to. Yep. I just love how it sounds, and because I understand the phrases, and I understand that, you know, to me, I, I it's like I don't know. I don't know. I could I could go on about it. <laughs> I fucking love that guy. Love That's him. That's cool. First first time I heard – see, I hadn't heard of Virgil in New Zealand. I might have maybe seen him in a magazine or something, but I, I, I wasn't wasn't aware. Um, when I came to New Zealand, then um, Southern Suns were on the radio at that stage. And then yeah. a mate of mine, we went and saw Simon Phillips' drum clinic at the oh, yeah. in, in 95 and yeah. I, I just remember walking up walking out from that with my mate and he he said have you heard of Virgil Donati and he's like the Australian Simon Phillips but, but <laughs> better but better yeah. and I'm like and I just remember him saying that and I'm like oh, oh and then it's you know one of those things when you hear it for the first time and then it's everywhere <laughs> It was yeah. that was was like that it was like the next day he was yeah he was, he was in a magazine or, or something like that and then oh, there was, uh, I don't know if it was, it was an ARIA Awards or some sort of awards show. Yeah. And him, Jack Jones, Gary Bears. Yeah. Were they doing Melissa the Etheridge? Ba- 
with Melissa Etheridge, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he just it just shows that and he was playing playing the premier kid at the time yeah, and the Toms were up Toms were up yeah. here. Hi, Tom. And he just start he just starts it with this I know. He didn't hold back. He, this, he never fucks around that guy. Nah man, it's like fuck this is this Virgil Donati guy. Like I'm I'm yeah. seeing him play now and yeah, yeah, just just blew me away. Yeah, it was. It's just awesome. mon- monstrous <laughs> artistry, dude. And the thing is that yeah. that's that's the thing. Like some, it's very like I mean, it's it's absolutely lovely when you know people are very well meaning, and sometimes people will say, "Oh, you're you know, oh, you're as good as Virgil." And I'm like, I know you can see similarities or whatever you think you see. But the fact of the matter is that when you get even, like I said before, the closer you get to it, the more you realize how fucking far away that really is. It's like, like I always think about it like that's why I always sort of call him the summit, you know what I mean? It's because it's like (laughs) it's not until you've gone to Everest and you've tried to summit, you actually understand how perilous the last bit of it is, I'm sure, you know what I mean? So when you're at base camp, you look up and you go, oh, yeah, that, that little bit, near the summit, that's close to the summit. So if you're there, then, you know, it's not that far away. It's like, dude, that's a <laughs> lifetime away. And yeah. it's exponentially harder the closer you get. It's more fuck, more fuckery. <laughs> more fuckery. <laughs> it's complete and utter shit tons of fuckery to get between where I am <laughs> to there. And yeah. lots of depression and lots of beating myself up. <laughs> You know, um, oh, comparison is the, you know the root of all depression. So, so there's that that thing about it. But um, but yeah, man, I I, I think for a lot of us, a group of um, good mates of mine, like Steve Fuller, and we all grew up together. And Verge was still like the underdog internationally. So yep. we were very much like. I remember, I remember what fucking what an idiot! I think I would have been seventeen or something. And Will Calhoun came to Sydney and did a clinic, and you know he's taking questions at the end. And I never ask questions at clinics, but I was like, oh, everyone thinks Will Calhoun's so good. No fucking should see Virgil. And so, oh, no. so um, so he's, any questions? I put my hand up, and, he, and they said, oh yeah, what's your question? I said, have you seen Virgil Donati? <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> Said, yeah, I've seen Virgil. He's amazing. I was like, all right, this guy's all right. He's all right. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like a whole bunch of us. I just remember looking in those magazines after a while, just getting frustrated with people going, oh, this guy's amazing. I'm like, dude, this guy is like Virgil. What is this? (laughs) Nothing. You know? And so I was so stoked when the world was like, hey, this Virgil Donati guy. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, we've known about him for a hell of a long time. And me less than. Other guys, you know, this, he, you know, I did. I didn't grow up in Melbourne, so I never got to see him play and all that stuff. It wasn't until much, much later yep. that you know I've gotten to know him a little bit and and um and you know, fuck man. <laughs> well, let's just anyway, talk about this. this is just, the naughty hour, but yeah. if you let me go, it will become. <laughs> well, let's just talk about this last this weekend just been now it's this is all came sort of full circle for you because you just played a gig with Southern Suns. Yeah. <laughs> so you, <laughs> which is you had, actually you had mental. Put, you had to put totally your, mental Virgil pants on and. Oh man. So, so talk about, talk about, it, let's just talk, talk about how that, how that, well, explain what the gig was and 
how it came about, how you got the call. Yeah. Okay. So, so the gig um, was the same lineup of the band that did the reunion tour. So everyone minus Phil Buckle. And um, so the way it happened for me was that Jack and I have become really good mates through COVID, and and we're like we've known each other. But, and we've done a couple of things here and there. Like yep. w- we did these Led Zeppelin tribute shows and I was playing drums and he came and did a couple of songs and, and you know, I did the big drum solo and all that stuff. So he knew who I was. And, and so anyway, at the beginning of COVID, he was producing um, this record for the Bloomvilles and I'm, I've done a lot of work with Joseph Calderazzo over the years. And so Joseph and I were just talking because there was all this split screen stuff going on, you know, people doing this and I was doing things with people. And I messaged Joseph and I said, hey, you know, it'd be cool as we should do like a Led Zeppelin tune and just do it. And like just one of the ones that we've done before and we'll just do a split screen, just get the same people to do it, like the strings and everything. Mm. Because I was looking for things to do as well. Like everybody else, I was, you know, wanted to keep busy. Mm. And Joseph said, ah, everyone's doing that stuff and I'd rather not do covers. He said, but I am doing an original record. And I just said, oh, look, you know, I've got the studio and I'd rather be playing on my mate's stuff. So if you want any drums, let me know. And then he said, oh, well, that'd be good actually. He said, I'll talk to Jack about because Jack Jones is producing it. And I was like, oh, okay, wicked. And so then I did the drums for that and then – Jack and I were just oh, see, talking. Sorry, so you you've played drums on the Bloomfield's album. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Great. And so that, that that it's a great record, and and that's the thing is like, as well as the Virgil thing, for me, I've always been into Jeff and Russ Kunkel and mm, mm. and um, you know Keltner and Gad and all yep. that stuff. So the yep. the song, and because my dad's a singer songwriter. Yep. I understand that way of playing as well as the other way of playing. So it's gotcha. sort of good because there's all there's a lot of records that that I've played on that are country records and folk records and whatever yeah. sort of things. <clears throat> um, so and so that's really great because I just got to do lots of layered things and percussion things and use the old Ludwig kits and you know get some cool sounds. And so then Jack and I just started yakking uh, on the phone and over Messenger. And I remember, and you got to remember too, like Jack Jones, is, I said before, but he's like one of my all-time favourite singers. So yeah. yep. as I was growing up and trying to sing, I was singing along with those Southern Sun records, like every lick. It's like he's my singing verge, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, gotcha. I was like fucking learning all the, I know all the lyrics. I'm like the worst fanboy there is, you know? <laughs> um, so, so. We were just talking and I, I've always, you know, since um, being in a band with Todd, Todd's always encouraged me to write. So I'm always writing songs. And I said to Jack, oh, you know, I've got some songs. Can I send them? You know, I'd love you to like have a listen, tell me if you think that my singing's shit or whatever, you know. Um, and it was just weird sending him things with singing on it. Anyway, he's like, yeah, dude, um, send it through and I'll have a listen. And, and I sent him this one song and um, he really liked it. And then he said, uh, and then we were just talking a little bit more and he said, um, oh, you've got tons of guitar players, but he said, if you're doing any sort of fusion stuff, because oh, oh, we were talking, I said, I really 
loved Ruination and what he did on that with Verge. Yeah. And he said, I, he doesn't get to do it often. And he said, but if you, if you want me to play guitar on something or, or sing, then, you know, he'd be into it. And I was like, careful, don't say that shit to me. <laughs> and so I basically, then I went and I wrote a tune, which isn't out yet. It's called Afterglow. And yep. it's, I, I love it. And so does he. So I basically, I wrote the music and then sent it to Jack and he did the melody and then he sent it to Reggie Bowman, who's yep. in Southern Sons. Reggie wrote all the lyrics and then we put it together as a tune and Jack played guitar solo on it with Jeremy Barnes, who's in the in the Light Beyond Sleep thing with me. Yeah. So so um so basically he that was sort of the first thing we did together and it he he was talking about the other night and he just said, you know, like he, he regretted saying yes when he heard it, but he was, he was happy to, <laughs> he was happy after he did it yeah. that he got to do it, but he was like, fucking hell, I shouldn't have said yes to this guy. Now I've got to <laughs> deal with this piece of music that's just too, you know, it's intense. Yeah. Um, so then after that, um, I, I think it might have been after that that I sent him the the pop tune, and he was like, and I said to him, oh, I I want to get this stuff sort of pitched for other artists to sing, and um, and I said, so I don't really want to put it out, and he said, sure, pitch it to people, but you should put it out as you anyway, like just put it out. The the songs are good, and he really believed in it, and having him sort of say, your singing's fine. I'm like, okay, well, if he if he thinks it's all right, then, I mean, he's, you know, he's Jesus. So basically it's like he can, whatever he says goes and that's fine. And so, um, so I, uh, so then I, I sent him some tunes and he said, I love these tunes and I love the 80s thing about it. And mm. he's, you know, he's such an accomplished guitar player and, I mean, this is what he said to me and he said to other people that the songs of mine are the 80s record that he always wanted to play on as a session guitarist. Right. And so he, as as I was sending him to him, he was just going mental at me and saying, this stuff is fucking awesome and I can't believe, you know, he's like, I love him playing on it. And he's like, send me another song. So I sent him another song. He's like, and then he sent you know, like within hours, he'd send me back these ridiculously beautiful guitar parts, like layered things. And he went and he got his old tri-stereo chorus. He bought a power supply for it. Like it was totally into it, man. Like <laughs> ridiculously geeking out. The two of us were just geeking hard about 80s records and and um, <clears throat> and the whole process. And so he was just riding me the whole way going, send me a tune. Send, actually, send me two more songs. He was like, I was like, oh, because I've got heaps of these. And so he literally was just writing me about getting him to play on the whole thing. And he, and that's how that, so I've done this whole pop record with me singing on it with him playing guitar. So did he play and guitar then, on Take Me Back to Summer? Yeah, that's man, him. And I thought it was him. It just yeah. hit his sound. And, and it, cause we, him, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that song and maybe play a little bit of it a little bit later, but I've got some notes here with that song of the influences I, I can hear in it and who it kind cool. of sounds like. And yeah. I put Jack Jones' son's yeah. sons. You picked it. Yeah, I okay. picked it. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. 
it's all, and, and so that's the thing is like, he brought that to my stuff wow. and he was thanking me for the opportunity. So like, it's like, this is Jack Jones thanking me for making a record that he could play guitar. And I'm like, this is yeah. all fucked up. And I'm singing <laughs> on this record. Like, yeah. yeah. And there's even one thing in there where I've sort of a bit of a. Your vocal a goes, goes right up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And yeah. he goes, oh, I like the little scoop you did at the end there. I was like, yeah. fuck, you know, this is yeah. just messed up, right? Messed so up, it's yeah. like just losing my mind about the whole thing. And then um, and and then during that whole sort of thing and becoming friends and, and then in that process I was playing drums for his solo stuff now and right. doing some of that and, and, um, and Reg mixed that, that tune you're talking about. So – it sort of we all became like friends, yeah, and we're collaborating a lot. And then Jack just said um, there was a gig coming up at the Palms, and he we'd sort of back and forth about. I basically said, if you do Sons gigs again, I want to come and sing BVs because I basically just want to look at Virgil and sing BVs <laughs> with you. So, yeah. And I don't need to be paid, but I don't want to have to buy a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, actually, you know, like it's it's going to be a long time before there's international travel coming back and forwards. And if we are doing anything, then Verge isn't going to be here anyway. Uh, like he can't be. Yeah. And he said, and he said, and, you know, <laughs> he was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I was like, don't <laughs> fucking say that shit to me. Um, so then when this gig came up, Originally, it was supposed to be on the 5th of February right. and I was in New Zealand with Dragon. I was so gutted. I was just like, yeah, right. oh, man, I would just mm. die. And then there was a mix-up and it was on the 20th and I was able to do it. And, you know, and it was just literally that thing you know, where I I got to play those songs with that lineup and, yeah, fucking hell. How the hell yeah. does that happen? <laughs> it's like it's like the gig that you I always wanted to play, but who the hell is going to fill in for Vir- like yeah. who what band in their right mind would not get Virgil? Yeah, like it's just, it's not going to happen, and it's only by virtue of the the gift of COVID, the gift um, of COVID, <laughs> you know. Um, but but really, that's sort of how that came about. Um, was just through that and. and that's what I found with the dragon thing too. Like, um, and I think there's a lot of that. It's where you, you do something small that's seemingly nothing and you say yes to that. Yeah. And then that has a domino effect and it actually leads you to where, to something that you would want to do. But the first thing is like nothing related to it at all. It's something that you, that you want to do, but it's, you never think it's going to, you know. Yeah. Yep. Go down that rabbit hole. So, so that was sort of the thing, but, um, yeah, that gig, (laughs) dude, I'm still on the eye from it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been, it's been three days since then, but, yeah, I um, saw I saw the that uh, the um the drum cam footage today. Oh, I watched yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you let it rip, man. Good on you. Oh, yeah. oh thanks, dude. Well, I made that t shirt. Yeah, know, that was the, cool. What, what would Virgil do? What would Virgil do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I sent it to him as well, and he laughed, and he and he he loved it. So, oh, that's cool. Um, 
uh, and um, and but it, it, I think, like the dragon thing, and particularly it being Verge, like fucking hell, you know. Um, I sort of, I just looked at it like, like literally, what would he do if he was walking into a similar situation? He, he you know, him or Vinny or or Weckle or you know, like guys like that, that I admire and aspire to be somebody like that. I, they're not the kind of guys like, you know, Vinny doesn't go in and play Stuart Copeland's parts note for note. Yeah. He's just yep. not going to do that. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Because he's got his own thing. But he will, you know, be respectful of it, obviously, and 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 do his own thing in a similar spirit. Now, obviously it's different with me and Verge because I fucking, you know, love the guy. And so there are particular things that I really wanted as a fanboy to hear, like particular yep. feels, like the yep. heart in danger things and, you yep. know, those moments, but also to treat it like um, in the same spirit as I think he would treat it, you know what I mean? Like I, he's not the kind of guy that would treat it any other way as like, you know, playing the music to the best of his ability on that particular occasion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so he, he's always pushing himself and he's always trying new things and he's always got that mentality of it being like a jazz mentality, you know? And so that's the, that, that thing seems obvious to me where it's like, there's a balance of those flavors in that band where it's a shiny pop band, but at the same time, it's going to fucking make you reevaluate your existence <laughs> with the musicianship. So it, it's, yeah. unless it's got those two flavors, to me, it's not Southern Sun. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's yeah, not that job. band. So I really wanted to have that integrity in it and do, you know, like, and bring what I could in order to have that intensity in my own way, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if that makes sense. So that, in, definitely not in any sort of way like, um, yeah, no no weird vibe yeah, about I, it. Just I like gotcha. love the band so much and if I went and saw them live, what would I want to see? And and yeah. I and and literally I'd be the first guy if I went and saw Southern Suns and Virgil wasn't playing and whoever did it yeah, yeah. did fuck <laughs> You, didn't, you didn't play do those that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would walk out and I'd be like, that gets a half star Google review. Fuck okay. you, buddy. All right. So tell, tell me this then. <laughs> Did you play the fills before the breakdown in more than enough? Yeah. Did you play? You did. You played it like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So what I did was um, <laughs> I actually, because, I, you know, like like all of us, when I heard that the first time when I was a kid, I slowed it down on a reel-to-reel -reel at half speed and tried to work out and couldn't work it out. Didn't yep. know what was going on. Yep. Um, and then so when when the, I knew the gig was happening, I thought well, that was the first thing I did. I was like, oh, I've got to work that out. <laughs> so I, I actually awesome. listened to it and now as a 45-year-old guy, I was like, Oh, it's quintuplets, cool. And then I just listened to the phrasing and then thought, okay, well, knowing the Verge is playing the way I do, it's probably crossovers. And right. so I sort of put together, I think it's pretty close. Yep. Um, 
you know, he, he'd probably look at it and go, <laughs> you think it's close. Um, but, you know, you think you're close, but you're not. Exactly. There's a lot of fuckery. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's a tiramisu of fuckery. Yeah. Uh, very good. You know, uh, but basically, so I played that. So on the gig, the same same way, though, like I played into that first part of it. Like I sort of improvised my way into that first one, okay. quoted that one exactly as the record. Yep. And then quoted the first chunk of the last field, which is groups of 10 30 second notes. Yep. Is what it is. And, and so I played a couple of those and then just improvised my way out of it. So, in, yep. in yep. do you know what I mean? And that's sort I do. of. I do. Yep. I, I think that really, for me, um, exemplifies how I tried to approach the whole gig. Like yep. the essence of him and his immense voice is in there but i still have to be me <laughs> yeah do you know so yep. it's juggling those elements and and finding my way of navigating that and and having his voice like my you know interpretation of his thing in there yeah. with my with my ins and outs yeah you know what's yeah. what's funny about like that particular um section of that song i was trying to find that that southern sons album on online i can't find it it's not on yeah. apple music it's not on spotify i've yep. got the cd i just need to put it onto my computer and but anyway so and i was also going through youtube as well and i i found a, a clip um i think it was one of those reunion gigs oh yeah someone, someone's taken a shot from um from front of stage and it doesn't sound great but they're playing more than enough and that the fills that he does is nothing like the album, not even close. Yeah, cool. Because that's the, yeah, it's that's, good to hear because yeah, that's exactly what I reckon. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Right. I, I, I reckon yeah. that because I didn't see the reunion tour and I yeah. tried not to look. <laughs> oh, okay, but I, I yeah. basically thought to myself, he, I, I would really doubt that he would get there and play what he played thirty years ago. Because yep. he's just not gonna do like my in in my feeling like I'm you know a student of his playing, it, it wouldn't make sense to me that he would go quote himself from way back when. It would feel revisionist to him. He's always pushing forward, forging ahead. Right. Do you know? So yep. so yeah, it's it's that's really interesting. Um, and uh, but that that's him all over, man. It's like, but th- this is the the other thing about it is it's like. Even being able to play that, like for me, I know what it is and I've done my homework and done all that practice for all that time that then those sorts of things are in my vocabulary, right? And they're in yep. my, my wheelhouse and my understanding and that's all well and good. But that guy <laughs> had that song and the band goes, oh, here's a couple of accents, do, 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 cool. Yeah. Do, do, do. I'll have some drum <laughs> fills in there. Yeah. Okay, no worries. What the hell would you do? What would I do? Yeah. Virgil did that. Yeah, that's it. Way back then. What, you know what I mean? He invented <laughs> that thing. It's yeah. fine to come along after the fact and go, yeah, cool, I can play that. No worries. Yeah, oh, I've got that covered. It's like, yeah, but I didn't invent it. Exactly. Hello? Yeah. He's just yeah. He spent his whole 
60 whatever years on the planet constantly inventing shit like that. What yeah. a maniac. Yeah, so so yeah, I mean, it was just it was ridiculous on so many levels for me to to do that gig and and um and I'm, I'm you know there's talk of more and I'm I'm really looking forward to it if there are and um but the other thing about it for me is like the the Jack element, you know, and and yeah. like I said, like yeah. all of those songs are like my some of my favorite songs in the world. Like I used to practice to those records every day. I had whole rudimental practice routines to, to the first and second records. And so like my day was consumed with those records and then I'd sing along with Jack and get all the licks and stuff. And yep. so for me, it was then like on the gig as well, then I'm singing the, these BVs. Like, it's like, yeah. what the fuck, you know, it's just <laughs> mental. Yeah. It was the most surreal experience, and it and it was also like, you know, uh, just we didn't get a rehearsal. <laughs> there was yeah. no rehearsal, so um, w- I think we only played about four songs at soundcheck. So all of the other songs, the first time we played them was at the on the gig, you know. Yeah. So it was just like ultimate pressure for me, <laughs> yeah. but. I got through it. You got through and it, man. Congratulations. I didn't. <laughs> it's funny, dude. <laughs> it's one of those things you just go, oh, I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. yeah. Change gears a little bit now. I'm going to play you something. Now, this is a this is an excerpt from back in 2019. Um, I ran a couple of drummers roundtables for this podcast. Oh, yeah, right. Um. And it went over two episodes because of the length of it. It was like five five hours, and and it was wow. was myself, Dave Goodman, John Adams, um, Fab Omaday, uh, Yanya Boston, Steve Marin, and Dave Ferry. Oh, what and, a bunch of legends! Yeah, and we all just chatted about drums and stuff. And um, this came up, so I want you to have a listen, and then then um, you comment on after it. Okay. So have you heard about that Pete Drummond story, the skateboard? Is this like because yes, yes, he, he told me that story. Yeah, and he had to completely. He, he, I know the guy who told him to go skating as well. I went to uni oh, with wow. him. Yeah. He said, "Oh, fuck that guy." Yeah, and older bloke actually, it was Jared student, and uh, this is a long time ago. But so he's from the mountains, and he said, "Oh, I said Pete, you got to chill out a bit, you know." And I, th- I suppose this is true. This is what I remember. And he went, bought a skateboard, and then landed. On both hands, had a bad skating on both hands, and then Ouch. he had to completely change his entire approach to and holding the sticks and everything. What what makes it really like full on is that the reason why that guy told him he needed to get a hobby is because he had just been through. I think Pete was maybe eighteen or so. He's young, yeah. Yeah, and, and he had just gone and taken a bunch of lessons with Gordon Rittmeister. Right. And Gordo had this nine hour a day practice routine that he'd chopped up into three lots of three hours. Right. An hour on this, an hour on that, you know. And, and Pete, Pete's really, really into it, and he's so impressionable. Yeah. So he went and did the routine, nine hours a day. No wonder he's so yeah. amazing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that lasted for, I think it was nine months. Really? And he said, like, oh, man, I, I felt like I was starting to lose my mind. And so two things happened. That guy said, yeah, you need to get a hobby. Go and start skating. And uh, 
So he did, yeah, and he shattered his arm. Can't play traditional grip anymore. I think he was playing traditional grip in those days. Anyway, he ended up going back to Gordo at some point and said, hey, hey, you know, like I went through that routine and blah, blah, blah. And Gordo said, what, nine months? I only managed it for about three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) That's dead true. Dave's got it completely. That's exactly what happened. And it it, it did. I I, um, shattered my elbow joint and I had to have it reconstructed. And in my left hand, and I used to play traditional grip of, I mean, for obvious reasons, right? Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, and then the surgeon said to me, oh, I can set it either way. Like, um, you know, you're, you're going to lose some rotation. So which mm. way do you want to lose it? And I thought about playing piano and mm. I thought, well, I, I'll still be able to play piano if it's set this way. I won't be able to play traditional grip, but I can play match grip and I'd still be able to play some guitar and stuff. <clears throat> and so I just, I, it was sort of that thing where you just had to choose. The first surgeon told me I wouldn't play drums at all. He was like, you'd be lucky to, you know. And um, and so I've still got pins in there and, and you know, I've, I've lost a, a bunch of rotation. Basically I can't, I mean, you'll be able to see. But yeah, I can see. I can't yeah. actually move. That's the you angle. Get so that. for traditional grip it's like, there yeah, is no, right. there's no rotation. I've got nothing. I, I got so, but match grip is fine, you know. So, mm. um, so that's why I, I play matched, match grip, and um, and just have ever since that point. And it's sort of good because I, I, I still find myself in the middle of things grabbing the stick in traditional grip. Anyway, it's like, right. dude, come on, it's been forever. It's like right. more than twenty five years ago or something. But um, right. but yeah, I. It was from that thing. I remember poor Gordo. I, I went and I went and had a lesson with him, and it, and I paid him with a check. My mum gave him a check. Ooh. I talked his ear off and just like wanted to know all about this routine because I read about it in Skinful. You remember the old Skinful magazine? Yep. Yep. And and I remember oh, I love Gordo. Like I still love Gordo, and and I was such a fan, and and um. And I remember reading it and plucking up the courage to um, go and ask him for a lesson. So I went to his place at Eastwood and that was one of the things I wanted to know what the routine was. And so he, he actually gave it to me and, um, and then I, I actually did my own version of that where I took that framework and actually made like a 12-hour thing because I was like, well, there's not enough bass drums in here. I need more double bass drum. <laughs> So it was like fucking. I just just get up at you know, uh, and and I was fairly religious about it. Like, you know, um, so it was it was about nine months where I did it pretty much every day, and it it completely revolutionised my playing. Like I was already playing okay before that, but after that period, it it was just different. Technically, was very different, and. And it also gave me gave me time to think about things that I'd conceptually thought about myself. See, when you're young, you think you're reinventing anything, everything anyway. You think everything <laughs> you're doing is amazing and new and oh, couldn't possibly have ever come before. Fucking the arrogance yeah, of youth yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. um, but but uh but I remember thinking about things in in maybe slightly unconventional ways, which I'm not the only one who has. But 
I didn't get it from any other source. So it was sort of like me thinking of doing permutations of things or, or doing pairing of limbs with rudiments. Like I hadn't right. necessarily seen, apart from a couple of things here and there, it was just like taking the seed of the hand foot single strokes that you see people do. And I was like, okay, well, if you can do that, then clearly you could do it between each pair of your limbs and you yep. could do that with paradiddles. And then imagine if you could sort of have some independence thing going and maybe that's an independence thing, you know what I mean? And so it's just like the same logical conclusion that a lot of people came to at the same time, but it meant that I was sort of working on those things during that period. So I I had basically in my mind and wanted to, you know, um, learn I just had a, this massive list of all the rudiments and all the permutations of all the rudiments. And I just did that stuff every day and, and worked them up, worked them up to speed. And I didn't, because there was, I mean, there was no internet. So yeah. you didn't, apart from instructional videos, I didn't really know what anyone else was doing. And like you, I was in a, you know, in the blue mountains, like a little bit tucked away. Mm. So I was working on things, well past the point where people who knew what they were doing would stop. Like there's some rudiments that I would work the tempos to, to like past the point where they sound musical anymore, but I yeah, didn't right. know you weren't supposed to go there. It's like the, you know, um, <laughs> suggested tempo range from 80 to 110 <laughs> and I'd be doing these things at 250. And I was <laughs> like, well, nobody told me to stop. I didn't That's know it. when to stop. That's it. <laughs> so I just, and then, and then when I went back to like Gordo, actually, after that was, um, I met Andy Gander. Yeah. Oh. And, and yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Andy fucking hell. And so, uh, yeah, I met Andy and I remember he was, he was playing, um, it was this thing I was playing with the Bushwhackers. And I knew that Roy and HG's band was on after us, like directly after us. It was an ABC day or something. And I begged the guys in the band to give me a drum solo on that set because they weren't going to. It was a, there was a drum solo in the thing, you know, because I was always full of beans and, you know, doing the, the drum solo thing. And so I said, oh, can we do that last? Cause, and I thought to myself, oh, because if Andy Gannis there, then, then maybe he'll hear my drum solo, you know. <laughs> so it worked out fine. So then I walked off after the thing and Andy said, who are you? Why haven't I heard of you? Who are, he was oh, like that- very, very interested. He was like, who are right. you? <laughs> and then we hung out and he played me and I was such a massive fan of his and he was playing me these new Sonic Fiction things in the car and I was just like, it was another one of those moments where I'm just like, this is mental. I'm yeah. just sitting here with Andrew Gander and he's showing me all this stuff that's just not even out in the world yet. Like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, and um, and then he he and Gordo were living together. Yeah. So he was living with Gordo at the time, and and I was in the mountains. And I remember, um, Gordo, I Gordo and I would talk on the phone sometimes. You know, and I remember, I don't know why, but we were ringing up and just having a yak, and I was talking to what about you know fucking non-stop drums, 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 drums. And, um, and I, I got, I said, what are you doing? What are you working on? And I said, Oh, I've been doing that routine you gave me. And I said, um, so I've been working on alternating flams. And I said, oh, 
you know, it'd be slow compared to where you guys have got them, but I've got them up to like 140 and they're <laughs> pretty good. I can do it for a bar or whatever. And he said, like eighth notes. I said, no, it's 16th notes. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know it's fucking slow. And he's like, hang on, what? He goes, hang on a sec. And he wants to talk to you. And then they, yeah. I can hear him. Yeah. And he gets yeah. on the phone. He goes, um, what I just said, you're talking about alternating flames at 140 beats a minute. Um, can I hear this? <laughs> I was like, okay. So I just got the pad out and put it next to the house phone. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to whatever, you know. And, um, and he goes, when are you coming down? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then I I was like, oh, I, I can come now. And so I just, I remember just going. And then I was so lucky, man, like to just spend time with both those guys. Yeah. And they, they showed me everything else, you know, like everything else. And Gordo it just absolutely changed the way that I thought about playing grooves and, and time and his knowledge of music and the history of the drums. And, you know, he's just such a deep musician, fucking incredibly deep musical guy. And what a, what a fucking pocket he has, you know? And, and so I was able to, to, like absorb all of that. And then at the same time, you got Andy, who's like a fucking precision cut diamond. And <laughs> every time I'd, I'd be trading with these guys, you know, like, so I'd be like, all right, there's two kits set up. All right. And, you know, we trade fours at this tempo and put on a click. And then Andy would be like, all right, nothing but quintuplets. Here we go. And I'd just be, I'd record it. And then I'd go home and listen to everything I was playing. And, then you have a direct comparison four bars later of what it should sound like and what the right. fuck you sound like. And then I was like, there's so much wrong with this picture that I need to sort right. out. And so it's like, there's always this little Andy Gander on my shoulder. That is the, the you know, <laughs> he's the referee of, is it in time? Yeah. And, and, and so, man, like a lot of that stuff is just, I don't know. I mean, who, I couldn't afford afford to spend that time. Like I couldn't pay both those guys to like let me hang out with them like summer camp for months and months and months. Yep. It's just mental, totally mental. I, I'm so, so lucky, you know, and they, they're so generous with their knowledge and just, you know, like never, ever held anything back. And, and Andy, Andy, you know, like, I remember some of the ridiculous shit that I was saying too. Like I had this whole thing where I was only going to play drums in scales, you know, like so I had gone and <laughs> got my cymbals tuned like chromatically, like tried to pick a fundamental and I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to play over changes and so I'm only going to use, you know, like I'm going to approach it like scales. So <laughs> each change is only going to be these available drums and cymbals. And he was like, mm, yeah, kid, that's a shit idea. He never said that. <laughs> He's like, why don't you just fucking play the drums properly? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's cool. Yeah. Funny, man. Yeah, man. Earlier we were talking about your solo music and the stuff that Jack Jones played on. There's the song Take Me Back to Summer, and I said we'd play a little bit of it and have a, have a little bit of a listen. 
Um, awesome. Might do that. Have, might do that now. Sure. A bit of a sure. Yep. Message in a bottle. Oh, yep. Really, really good, and the the influence. Like I said, I yeah. What's, I your, that I what's could, your list? I could, Give me your list. What's okay? Um, hang on, will be notes. Um, so I can hear that that sort of um, delayed cross stick thing. It's very Don Henley, yeah. Age of Innocence. Can one one hundred billion percent correct. <laughs> And it was, um, it was totally deliberate because, I mean, Boys of yep. Summer, you know, I love that song and I and I, I, I basically just went Lindrum, Cross Stick, that's, right. and, and Delay, <laughs> and there it is. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, your voice very much reminds me of Rick Price as well. Sack oh, thanks, right, man. Right. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, dude. And, and I think it's coming up to it, just the... Like the little breakdown before the before the solo, it's very Simon Phillips era Toto. Yeah, cool. Tubes. You can hear some tubes in there. <laughs> yeah. This is this is me playing acoustic guitar actually. All oh, right. See, if it was me, I would have. This is what I would have done just here. But it's not nice. me, so. <laughs> Dude, that would have been good. <laughs> like that. Now, at, now at that, I want that to happen there. I'm doing <laughs> no, another version. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Because that just it kind of reminded me of that, that Simon Phillips era Toto. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so maybe great, he, man. I, I, I love that, really dig it. that you get all that out of it. I think for me, um, 
I think what I was trying to channel as a big chunk was 5150 era Van Halen. Right. Because, and, and if you, I mean, as now that, now that I've said that, if you go have a listen to that little bit before the, the um, instrumental, I've done a, I've done my fake DLR squeal. <laughs> Oh, right okay. at the end so, of the, there's a big block of harmonies, and then I do like the, you know, my sort of pathetic version of David Lee Roth's little squealy thing. <laughs> so, so where's that? Where are we? Um, you know, before the guitar solo, like, so, um, just after oh, that second second chorus. Yeah, before. So the beginning of that is a. Yeah, at the end of it. <laughs> and the, this section is sort of like Eddie just died, like Eddie. Oh right. And so yeah, yes, and this man. whole thing is sort of like, um, yeah. Similar palette to dreams, you know what I mean? Like, yep. yep. So, it, it really was that that whole week where Eddie died, and and I was wow, like like everybody, you know, uh, um, yeah. And I was writing the tunes, and and this sort of came out. And there's one lyric in there in the second verse that's directly about Eddie, um, oh, right, and okay. the Us Festival in San Bernardino. 83, right. like there's a whole lyric in there about EVH. Right. So, I mean, because like I said before, like they were, I've, I was, it was Dire Straits, then Van Halen for me, and that yep. was the defining universe, and then Fusion and all the rest right. of it. Right. So, so yeah, the and other... the, the Stuart yep. Copeland thing, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Awesome, man. So the other stuff that you've you've written, it's similar to this. Yeah. Um, oh, great! I can't I wait to hear send it. You a, yeah, I'll send yeah. you some. Um, oh, that'd be awesome. I'm actually going to put. I'm just going to put another one up out into the streaming whatever universe this week, and okay. then just keep chucking them out as they as they come along. I mean, I'll, I, it's I'm under no uh, illusion as to what the landscape is, <laughs> you know, there's a world full of 18-year-old Instagram models who sing <laughs> very catchy auto-tuned pop to people and that's what the world is. Um, I just am sort of compelled to write music and make music and so like Jack just said, just put it out in the world and Todd always saying, dude, just you got to get these songs out of your Dropbox and do something with them. Um, well, I mean, you, you, you've made me happy. Oh, thanks, dude. Well, Mate, no, I, 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 mean, I think it's great. That, that really means a lot. Like it, I know you, you're making fun but of yourself or whatever, but but that that means a huge amount because that, it, it really is, like for me particularly, putting my, putting my songs out and me singing, it's yep. like that's a you know it's something yep. that 
that I've sort of skirted around for a long time, but also I'm really wanting to, to do that. So, and I think that's why I've put it out as eerie. I mean, there's, there's a whole thing about that. Like I did 10 years of psychology and, and, you know, really dealt with all my shit and, and that sort of grown out of that. And so that, that sort of is a representation of that. Um, Right. Like a full wingspan sort of thing, you know, like just yep. putting all of yourself out into the world unashamedly as an artist. Yep. It's, yep. it's being able to come to that point, which is, you know, it's, that's a, for me, it was very incredibly difficult. Um, but, yep. uh, and also because Eerie sounds like a singer and Pete Drummond is the fucking idiot who plays the drums. <laughs> <laughs> So, and also yeah. it's a palindrome, so you know it looks pretty eighties. Yeah, so. yeah, it looks it looks cool. The, the branding of it's really cool. But I know what you mean about about releasing your own music. I'll send you I'll send you something after this. But I released oh. a three track EP on Spotify and Apple Music about how long ago? Four, four, three and a half years ago. Oh, cool, man! Same sort of thing. I, I've I've always written songs, and and I just. It wasn't really a New Year's resolution because I don't do those. It was just, I just woke up one day and went, okay, I'm going to do this. And to make me do it, I'm going to get on Facebook and I'm going to film myself and I'm going to put it out there saying, hey, I'm going to write or release, write, uh, record, produce, um, play all the instruments, sing all the tracks. I'm going to do all that. And I'm going to release it. And because I'm telling you about it on Facebook, that means I have to do it. That's so, so cool. That's what, I, that's, that's what I did. And I did it. And, and about six months later, I, I released it. That's awesome. So, um, Can you play me something yeah. now? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I want to hear it. Okay, let me find it. Yeah, well, you, and then you completely know what that is. Yeah. And it's so, for me, it's taken to have Todd Hunter and Jack Jones give me permission. So <laughs> it, I, I need particular conditions. I need, I need, I need those guys to go, Hey, come on, fucking do something with you. <laughs> You're all right, kid. You're all right. Yeah. It's going to be all right. The the three songs, they're, they're completely different. And that was the whole idea. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to do an EP that blends into each other. It was just three completely different songs, different styles. Um, the one I'll play you now, it's, it's, we were talking earlier about my hometown, and I wrote yep. this about growing up in that town and oh, skateboarding cool. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Floor. The run 
Queen Street, though. That's fucking cool, man. Thanks, man. That's really cool, dude. I just, I, I um, I just found you on Spotify. And oh, I'm, did you? <laughs> I'm trying to follow. Um, no, awesome. I, the thing, fuck you, Kiwis. 
you artistic <laughs> motherfuckers. Um, cause it, because it's it's great, like and 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 the fact that you're playing everything, you're singing, and all that stuff. The the cool art, like you've you know, it's still art because it's not just you know it's catchy and all that stuff. But then you got this whole thing at the end where you've you've like, are they your mates? Did you get them? Yeah, all yeah, to, they're my, they're they're my old, like my best man's there, my brothers in there. Just That's my close so mates. So cool, man. Yeah, I just contacted them and just asked them all to do, do like a, um, just a voice, you know, just an audio grab of something. I said, mastered and growing up, what have you got? I need. So That's many so seconds. cool. Well, because the thing about it too is, uh, as I was listening, is it was a real snapshot of Kiwi life for you. You know um, what I mean? Like, even though I'm not yep. from there, and I don't understand all the references, but I could totally yeah. like, um, you know, see, I could very visually see the, the narrative and, and understand sort of the culture of the town and the crackerjacks thing. And like the, you know, the fucking, I was sick dude. And then, awesome, and then, you know, listening to that and then you get all the stuff on the end where it's all the guys talking and their memories and like, you can hear. Us. Yeah, it's really cool. That's fucking cool. Oh, cool, man. You're that motherfucker. But <laughs> that that last section, like when I when I originally wrote it, like that um that sort of interlude at the at the you know the playing mm. there, mm. it was it was always a part. Like the music was always a part that I had attached to that logic project for some reason. Yeah, it was right. Something right. That I'd done one night. And it was always there, and I could always hear it in there, but I could never work out how to incorporate it because it's such a such a change. Yeah, you know, and and I, I, I'm thinking, oh, do I just like do a bridge or something like that? But that, that never worked, and then the idea came into. That's such a cool idea because it's just so yeah. you just don't expect it, but it just it really caps off the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it ties everything. It's like the big Lebowski. It's the rug that ties the room together. <laughs> Do you know, it really yeah. is, man. Cause it's the payoff yeah. for the rest of the song. When I got to there, I was like, Oh fucking hell. This is it. You've been leading me along that thing. And then it's the big payoff <laughs> at the end. It was sick, dude. I really loved it. Cool, man. Thanks very much. Just want to ask you this. When you were in New Zealand with Dragon, um, not not just recently, but a time before that, you supported Toto. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm curious as to know, you know, being a massive Toto fan, always have been, and um, I'm interested in that that machine. Like you, you would have, because you were supporting them, you know, you would have got to see how it sort of operated backstage and regarding their gear and that kind of thing. So I'm curious as to. That whole, yeah, the whole Toto machine. Yeah, how, yeah machine. well, well, honestly, yeah. um, it was very much the us and thems. Do you know what I mean? Like they did fraternize a little bit, but it was very much like, you know, their, their tent was a closed tent. And that, then they also had like the band tent and Luke's tent and um, Steve Picaro's tent and the cruise tent, you know, so they're all sort of segregated even amongst themselves, you know. But yeah, that's, that's very yeah. much like, like, um, uh, it seems like that happens a lot with those big 
American bands yeah. because well, um, the Eagles, the Eagles, I know the Eagles is like that. Yeah, well, and, like that. and I, I think it's a lot of the time it, it's just the way things are structured. But I know um, Mickey Curry and I are, are mates, and and um, when I've hung out with him at the Brian Adams things, it's very much like there's the band and there's Brian and there's, you know what I mean? And Brian will come in and say hi to the band, but it's very much like he's the act and they're the band, even though they're mates. And you know what I mean? It's just the, 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 I think the Yanks have a bit of a weird setup like that. Although I think it depends who you work with. But um, so as far as the Toto machine, it was very much that sort of thing. I spoke with, um, Steve Lukather, um, a couple of times, but we had one convo it wasn't hugely long, but you know, I was just telling him, you know, that he's fucking awesome basically. And, um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then he was asking me about the band and, and, you know, and said he, he thought we sounded great and all that stuff. And, um, and then, um, I did, I got to hang out with, I got to hang out with Shannon Forrest. And that was great. And he's a beautiful drummer, man. Like, sure is. It's that exact thing where you get the fanboyness of Jeff, and he's as close as it's going to get. But right, he's not doing some shit tribute. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's playing the gig how he wants to play it. But there's all the moments that you would want, and his pockets yeah. very similar because he's loved Jeff so much. You know, he's a big student of Jeff's. So it was fucking yep. glorious, dude. And it was such a lovely guy. Um, and also very down on his playing, you know, he thinks he's yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. The opposite of what you think, like no ego at all. And, yeah, um, cool. you know, and, and so. Oh, not, we, not put, I, I made it sound like you're, he was putting himself down as a player. Yeah. yeah. He just wow, doesn't, really? ra- he doesn't rate himself. Oh. And it's like, <laughs> I'm just going, dude, you're ridiculous. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we got to hang out. A little bit, and um, and I did spend a bit of time talking to um, uh, uh, the bass player Shem von Shem, Shem von something. Yep, yep, yep. And also, um, you know, Joseph Williams. <laughs> I had a bit oh, of a cool. chat with him. He was really cool. Yep, and um, and. He was singing amazingly too, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, he's good. Singing yeah. so well. And the whole band sounded fucking incredible. Really incredible. Mm. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it was just, just like a really very slick sort of, very, very slick mechanism, the whole thing. You know, yeah, and right. Larry Larry Crow, the drum tech, is a beautiful guy, and he was he was awesome, and we still chat sometimes on Facebook, and and um he he was great, and he was telling me stories about Vinny and Keith. He was like Keith's the most ridiculous drummer that there is because he was doing it <clears throat> for a while, and and just the Vinny things. It's like I'm just sitting there, and he's just talking to me about Vinny sound checking. And Vinny's, oh, this Vinny thing. Oh, yeah, we were doing this one gig, and you know, and Vinny starts playing. This <laughs> I'm just sitting there, just going, man. <laughs> these days of my life are ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you know? that's cool. That's awesome. And then that whole thing of like, you know, playing the Dragon songs in New Zealand, 
you know, yeah. and me getting to do the solo and I was playing keyboards and drums on that thing and singing and it was just mental. They was but Toto, I mean, just it's like flawless, perfect band. Right. And the sound was insane. And, you know, they were all very nice. Like there wasn't any bad attitudes. No one was an, as an asshole. Luke yeah. um, is very generous with his time because everyone wants to talk to that guy. Everyone wants to say, you know, we love you. You're, you're you know, an institution. And he he just, he's pretty chilled, man. Like, for for a guy who gets accosted by every Tom, Dick, and Harry, <laughs> he was very accommodating with some idiot from the support band coming up at the bar going, oh, Mr. Lucas, are you fucking amazing? And I love this guitar. <laughs> I play drums in Dragon, but um, you're fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, the one thing I've, man, so many of those things, like it, it's impossible to have conversations with those guys Anyway, like I always think, you know, everyone wants to talk to them about music or like, or you know, like when you meet drummers, everyone wants to talk to them about, oh, this record or that thing. And I always just think, fuck, that's the last thing I want to talk to them about. Any Anything I want to find out is probably in an interview somewhere or probably if I just did my homework and listened to the record, I could work it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, yeah, so, so th- those things are funny. I had one of those, um, one of those interactions with Vinny <laughs> where I, I, I met him. It's a, you know, it's a bit, I only thought of it cause of Larry Crow and the, right. his Vinny thing, but, but it, it, it's always that thing where whenever I, whenever I've been introduced to those guys or, or met them, it, it's sort of like I go, oh, fuck, I don't know what to talk to you about and it's definitely not going to be music. So let's just, <laughs> I'm just not even yeah. going to go there. So, and that can backfire because I, I, I met Vinny and, and um, Frank Corniola introduced us and then Frank left. <laughs> and so Vinny was out with uh, Mike Stern, I think. no. No, he was playing with um. Oh, I don't know. I didn't even see the gig, so I turned up at the end <laughs> of the gig because I was yeah. working on something, and I and I went in, and Frank was so lovely to me, and he was like, "Oh, come and meet Vinny," and I was like, <laughs> and he wasn't shaking hands with people. He was, you know, yeah. and um, and so like somebody had already told me that, and um, Frank said, "Oh, Vinny, this is Pete. You know, he's a drummer from Sydney." And um, I went to shake his hand. He said, oh, I don't do that. And I was like, oh, okay, fucking hell. All right. This is, aw- this is awkward already. And mm. Frank's wife, Rosanna, had already told me that they'd been out on Sydney Harbour that day. And so I was like, okay, this is really awkward. But And so then Frank leaves and I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, this is weird. It's Vinnie Collida and me and no one else. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm doing all the processing. Don't talk about drums. Uh, and so I just said, I fucking launched in. What an idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, awkward kid. 
Um, so I said, oh, uh, Frank and Rosanna said you went out on the harbour today. Um, you know, how was that? And then he started talking. He's like, oh, it was really nice. It's cool. We could, you know, it was good weather. And I wasn't listening to anything he said because I was thinking about what I was going to say next. You know, I was like, fucking, <laughs> where do I go from here? So he's talking, says something about the boat. And I said, and he stops and I go, I say, oh, oh, do you do a lot of that? Because um, you don't strike me as the outdoor type. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And he fucking just looked into my soul and he goes, how do you know? You don't know me. <laughs> was he being serious or was he yeah. taking the piss? No, man. He oh. was fucking dead serious. He goes, you don't wow. know me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How do you know? You don't know me. And I was like, Jesus. <sighs> and then I just, and now I just was like, okay, well, this is fucked. So, uh, uh, so I just said, I said, yeah, you're right. I don't know you at all. I said, but if you're anything like me, you probably spend a lot of time inside playing the drums. <laughs> and so I figure you probably don't get out a lot like that. And he said, yeah. Ah, you're right, actually, because, yeah, I spent a lot of time in and, you know, I'm always working on things. And then I somehow crossed the threshold that, that's where the end. we yeah. sat there for 20 minutes and didn't shake my hand at the end. He's hugging me. And oh, and I, and I he was offering shit up about, like, just bits and pieces. But I was in such a fluster anyway. I didn't take a lot of it in. But he, we sat there talking for probably half an hour. And, you know, he's gone, oh, yeah. No, I was asking him things about – I remember uh, then we got into drum stuff and I was saying, oh, I've been working on some of that and I really like this thing in Secrets. And and he was like, oh, yeah, well, I was going through that whole thing where I was doing – and I was just like, okay, this conversation's weird. <laughs> How do you know? You don't know me. But that that's always the trap. So it, even like when I went up to talk to Steve Lukather, I was like – Fucking hell, this is just a perilous degree of difficulty, eight million, and there are so many pitfalls here. There's a you know, bed of nails and spikes and alligators under my feet at any point in this yeah. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good shit. Oh, Pete Drummond, man, this has been awesome. Really oh man, this. thank you. Yep, we got so much more to talk. We got so much more to talk about. So we're gonna have to do this again another oh, time. Oh man, thank you so much for um, wanting to talk to me, man. It's, oh man, it's, it's a privilege. You're a beautiful guy. I love hearing oh, your songs. That's great. Oh, thank you, man. It's fucking thank awesome, you, man. dude. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Love I me. Mean, likewise. Yeah. Oh, thank we're, you. We're out there. We're out. We're out there. We're, yeah. we're out there in the internet. Singing world. drummers. Yeah. Singing drummers. Look yeah. out. <laughs> All right, Pete. Thanks, man. Appreciate right, it. Talk to you soon. Yep. All right, Beautiful. Bro. See ya. See you, man. Bye. Bye.